Well, good morning, church. Have you thought out yet? Mostly. It is good for us to be together in the presence of God and the presence of one another. Whether we're here in the sanctuary, whether you're, you're listening to us on KTCU radio, please know that wherever you are, wherever you are physically, wherever you are emotionally, spiritually, know that you're welcome here. And it is good for us to be together in this way. As Renee mentioned during the welcome, we are con- continuing our series, noticing over and over again that there is this theme that runs throughout all of Scripture where God interrupts the lives of ordinary men and women, people like you and me, taps them on the shoulder and says, I need you to partner with me to help bring about healing and hope, to bring heaven to earth. And one of the things that we've noticed throughout this series is that, is that God has this particular way of tapping those who feel or are considered the least likely to fulfill those unique purposes. In pretty much every story, those who are called have this sense of worry that maybe they're not quite worthy, that they're not up to the task, they're not good enough for what they were summoned for, and others think that they aren't good enough or worthy enough, that they're either too old or too young, they're too reluctant, too inexperienced. In the story that we're going to hear this morning, too female. However, they are assured that God, God's presence prepares and empowers and encourages them every step of the way. They are worthy of the call that is placed upon their lives, not necessarily because of anything that they've done, but simply because of the one who has called them. Now, I will say that of all the call stories in the Bible, the one that to me is the most gripping, the most intimate, is the story of Mary Magdalene. For centuries, in fact, up until very recently, Mary Magdalene has received a bit of a bad rap from both the church and the society. She was often considered to be one of the leading bad girls of the Bible. But as we will see this morning, the biblical narratives about Mary Magdalene, as well as the earliest Christian traditions, portray her in a much different light. And what we find when we actually pay attention to the Scriptures is a faithful follower of Jesus who was devoted to caring for his needs as well as the, the needs of the disciples with whom she served, that she is obedient in answering her call. We find a woman who is worthy of that call and that central role of spreading the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We also find a woman whose story that we can relate to and whose example we would do well to follow. Now, her name is, it's beautiful. It's almost melodic, Mary Magdalene. Now, what we consider to be her last name, actually from Magdala, was a fishing village on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. In fact, in that day, it was a bustling town not far from where Jesus lived and conducted most of his ministry. Now, we don't know how Mary Magdalene first came into contact and came to know Jesus. In fact, if it weren't for the Gospel of John, we would know very little about the intimacy, the connection that they share. But it's Luke's Gospel. It's Luke's Gospel where she appears earliest in his ministry. You may know that we have essentially four accounts of the life and the ministry of Jesus. We call them Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the first three, we oftentimes refer to as synoptics, a word that means same or similar. And in those stories, what we see over and over again 
is Jesus calling, as I said, the least likely. But Mary is mentioned only in 13 verses in the Bible. And of those, only one in Luke chapter 8 introduces her before the crucifixion. And what we're told there is that she is a part of a large group of women disciples that were following Jesus and that he had cured her of evil spirits and infirmities. Now, we don't know what those evil spirits were. We don't know what those infirmities were. But what we can assume is that her life had been a bit of a wreck and that Jesus brought, turned her to a life worth living. But it's in John's Gospel where we'll look this morning where we come to know Mary Magdalene a little bit more intimately, a little more fully, because here we're given a glimpse of the depth of the relationship that she has with Jesus. Keep in mind, all four stories have her placed at the foot of the cross at the crucifixion. And death, the crucifixion and the death of the one that had brought her that sense of healing. And so while most of the other disciples have fled in fear, there she was. She stays near to Jesus. And as you're about to hear, she arises early on that first Easter morning from a grief-disturbed sleep making her way through the darkened streets to the tomb of Jesus. Now keep in mind that she was not expecting, she was not expecting what she found. John's gospel doesn't explain why, but maybe she goes to try and make sense of what she has experienced on Friday. And when she arrives at the tomb, her grief is doubled because the stone has been rolled away. At that point, it was not yet good news. I invite you to listen to this word from John's Gospel. Here begins the reading of the book of John, chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
I'm willing to bet that most of us have either heard or even used the phrase, her reputation precedes her. Sometimes that can be a good thing, especially if you hear good news about somebody, somebody you're about to go out with, somebody that you're about to hire, somebody that you're going to visit. But it can also be a bit harmful if the reputation is painted as tainted. If the reputation that has come to your ears is not right, in high school in particular, there were those people whose reputation preceded them. But yet it turned out to be once you got to know them that had been blown completely out of proportion to their true character. And what you came to look, if, what you came to see, if you looked beyond the reputation, if you got to know them a little bit more, is that that person whose reputation was being aloof, a bit of a prima donna, well, turns out they were just shy. Or the person that was seen as cocky and arrogant, well, maybe that person was gifted and confident, self-assured. So with that in mind, what image comes to mind when you hear the name Mary Magdalene? Now some immediately will think of a woman singing, I don't know how to love him from Jesus Christ Superstar. And you wouldn't be wrong. Some of you may immediately jump to the conclusion or remember in some way, shape, or form that you have been taught that she was a prostitute or a woman simply possessed by demons. Luke tells us that out of her love and gratitude that Mary Magdalene follows Jesus and provides for his needs and those closest to him, his disciples, that and that alone, as I said, was the picture that is painted to us in Scripture. But sadly, history has distorted that significantly. You see, in the year 591, a pope by the name of Gregory the Great was looking at Luke's gospel and made the connection that the story that takes place just before what we just heard about Mary Magdalene in Luke chapter 8, the story that just returned, tells the story of an unnamed woman who is identified as a sinner, who out of her love for Jesus washes his feet with her tears, dries, dries his feet with her hair, covers them with ointment, kisses his feet. Now, in that time, in that time, that would have been scandalous, and all sorts of eyebrows would have been raised. Well, Pope Gregory makes the connection and links the two stories that are separated just by simple verses and includes Mary Magdalene that maybe that was the unnamed woman that was kissing and washing and drying his feet, that she was not only demon-possessed, but she was a sinner, and that in those later centuries, uh, because a woman's sin was all too often associated with her sexuality, somehow she became a whore and a prostitute. Because of this, artists throughout the ages have often depicted her as wearing red and displaying a surprisingly amount of flesh, oftentimes topless. Now, you talk about her reputation preceding her. She has historically gotten a bad rap, and yet still some look at her this way, even though scripturally she is never once portrayed as a prostitute or being found guilty of any sexual sin. But yet, Jesus 
over and over again, treats her with love and dignity, gives her one of the greatest gifts, and that is simply the responsibility and the privilege of being the first to proclaim the gospel message. You see, it's only in the last century, as theologians have carefully studied and reflected upon her life as depicted in Scripture, that her reputation as well as her significance in the Christian story have been restored. Now, for me, for me, the words that we just heard are some of the most beautiful words written in the biblical canon. Because here's Mary, here's Mary, she is consumed by her grief, yet there she is still standing outside of the tomb, weeping. But then in a flash of a moment, her world and ultimately our world is turned upside down and, and grief and panic are replaced, are replaced by joy, unimaginable joy as she recognizes the sound of his voice calling her by name and she comes to see in that moment that he's alive, that he's alive. Haven't we all? at some point in our lives, been so consumed by grief, by fear, by panic, that it was difficult, maybe even impossible, to see that Jesus was in our midst. That we felt like we had been running everywhere looking for him, but all we could see was emptiness and loss. And then at some point we realize that he was there all along standing beside us, holding us, comforting us in the midst of our grief and our tears, and that he replaces our tears with joy by tenderly calling our names, inviting us to experience resurrection lives. And we realize that he's alive and that in him we can live lives that are fully alive as well. Now, admittedly, some of us are here this morning because we have had that experience. And so we keep coming back, maybe out of gratitude, to try and stay near to him, or maybe even to keep coming back to that place where we first experienced this gospel message, this good news. That we keep coming back, hoping, hoping that we can remember that, that we can touch it, that we can, that we can somehow recapture it. And yet, I'm aware, too, that some may be here this morning that are desperately hoping for that experience, that are overwhelmed right now with life, looking through tears and grief, longing, longing to hear Jesus call your name, to tell you, to show you that you are not alone. Well, Church, whether you are here this morning in gratitude or in hope, I want you to notice that it's Mary's persistence that pays off. Her staying near, her looking for Jesus in the midst of her grief, it pays off. Because she doesn't try to convince herself that, that, that she needs to be happy because, well, because, well, Jesus' suffering is over. He's in a better place. She doesn't try to comfort herself by saying that. She simply sits in the midst of her sadness and feels it all and yet continues to search for Jesus through her tears and that persistence pays off 
At first, she's blinded by grief and panic. She doesn't recognize Jesus, but in her tenacity, with her, with her tapping her foot with a, a level of impatience, she begs the one she is desperate to see to show her where he is. You know, I think sometimes that we have a hard time recognizing Jesus in our midst because our spiritual eyes are clouded by grief, by fear, by panic. But yet also I think sometimes we don't recognize his presence because it oftentimes defies our expectations. Mary comes to the tomb expecting to find the dead body, the body of her beloved teacher, but what she discovers is a resurrected Lord. You see, Jesus always defies our expectations, moves beyond our limited view of who he is and what we can do in and through him. I guess what I'm trying to say is that sometimes we are giving, we are given, sometimes as children, we are given who Jesus is and we try to fit him neatly in this little box. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm too big. I don't fit in preconceived expectations. But there, she stays, she searches, and ultimately she finds Jesus, and in response is given the incredible privilege of being called to go and to share the good news of the resurrection. To deliver, to deliver the very first sermon of the Christian faith. Five words long, I have seen the Lord, she says. I wonder how many of you are wishing right now that this sermon was five words long, (laughs) that every sermon was five words long. Wouldn't it be great? As Mark Twain once said, I'd write you a shorter letter if I had more time. But Mary, in her excitement, she wants to cling to Jesus, to never let go of the one that she has found. But did you hear what Jesus says? She says, he says, don't hold on to me, Mary. Don't hold on to me. And I think, I think what he's, 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 not, he's not rebuking her, he's not criticizing her, he's not scolding her. He's telling her and reminding him, reminding her that life now is different than it was that you've had this experience, you have this holy, sacred moment, this encounter, and that your life cannot continue on as usual. That she should let everything that's happened in her life up to this point to be prelude to what will happen next. To allow her life to be transformed by the resurrection. That if she holds on comfortably to the way things are, to who she thinks Jesus is, the world will simply remain the same. but reminds her that Jesus will always be with her. But she can't stay in that moment that she has to go. You see, I think what he is saying is that we can't cling to our narrow view of Jesus if we are going to become all that he desires for us to be. Nor can we stay holding on to Jesus in our comfortable little church pews. That while it's often here that we may experience that presence, that we might hear that good news, that, that like Mary, we are called to go to take this message, to take this experience 
this light and to bring it into the world that is oftentimes filled with darkness. You see, church, sometimes we need to let go of our image of who Jesus is before we can move forward into what he calls us to do or be. And Mary, the one who sticks close to Jesus, is the first one to find the empty tomb, the first one to witness the resurrection. She is the one, the first one to speak to the risen Lord. And now, like all prophets, people of faith who have had their lives interrupted, she is sent. Now let me just pause here for just a moment because because I don't want us to overlook or underestimate the significance. The fact that the most important message of all time, that the shortest but also the most important Christian sermon ever delivered was done so by a woman. And so the next time one of your fundamentalist friends tells you that women shouldn't be preachers, I would simply encourage you to remind them that according to their Bibles, she has from the beginning. You see, Mary Magdalene is obedient to her call, delivers the first, the shortest, the most important Christian sermon, and becomes the primary agent sent to proclaim the central message of this new faith. You see, Mary's story, her call, is one of the most touching, one of the most intimate in all of the Bible, and her personal encounters with Jesus not only bring wholeness and healing to her life, but they also bring with them a deep sense of gratitude and a desire to return that goodness and that mercy that he has shown her. This woman whose reputation has been sullied, who has sometimes been viewed by history as low and unworthy, is deemed by the risen Christ as being worthy, as good enough to go. Good enough to take the good news, the light and new life into the darkness as she proclaims, I have seen the Lord. Now, Mary's story, of course, is our story as well. That we too have been offered the healing and the wholeness in Christ's presence. And I don't know about you, but that, that makes me feel, leaves me with a sense of deep gratitude. A desire to serve him, to follow him, to listen for his voice, to answer and to follow his call. And when we do, what we discover is that over and over again, Jesus defies our expectations. You see, we too are called to go, to proclaim both in work and in deed, in the way that we live our lives, that we have seen the Lord. That it doesn't matter how old or rich, how young or poor, it doesn't matter if you are male or female. It doesn't matter how worthy or unworthy you feel in the eyes of God, you are worthy. You have a call that has been placed upon your life to take the light of Christ and to shine it in the darkest of places.